and uh, it's, my, uh, it's my privilege to just be kicking off the hunger season and uh, be having the, the opportunity to speak um, uh, into that. Um, as I was uh, thinking and praying about this, I wondered if what would be a good way to start is actually just to start by explaining why have we got a hunger season? Why, what, what is it? How does it work? Why have we got 43 days of hungering after God? I bet you think it's really spiritual that we've gone for 43. Actually, we were going to just do 40, but we could only get San on days 41, 42, and 43, Santino. So Santino's going to be coming back and doing those. So we thought we'd extend it from 40 to 43 um, in order to include Santino at the very end of our season together. Um, but, but in all seriousness, why, why hungering after God. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this. Isn't it a bit enthusiastic? You know, isn't it just a bit over the top? Christians aren't supposed to, you know, are we supposed to hunger for stuff? Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Well, you know, if you've got everything, why, why on earth um, would you hunger? Paul, haven't you said yourself from, from this platform that we're a very rich people? And, and I have, and we are an incredibly rich people with everything that God has given us. What is it that we're actually hungering for? You know, is it an experience? Is it a spine-tingling encounter where something physically happens, or is it something different from that? I want to show you from the Bible that having a healthy hunger for God is not just okay, but it's preferable. It's the, it's the best. And if I'm honest, my intention is that in 22 minutes and 31 seconds, which is what I've got on my little countdown clock, um, my, my intention is that you will be hungrier at the end for God than you are now. My, my, my one unashamed desire is that you are hungrier for Jesus at the end than you are at the beginning. And then as Hannah and the band come back and they lead us, they're leading us to encounter Jesus and give him our very, very best in worship and adoration and praise and glory because he is worthy. That's, that's the intention anyway. I'm going to start by looking um, at Psalms. We're going to finish in the New Testament. And as I read out, it's only little bits of Psalms, but as I read these out, here's some of the things I would invite you to consider. I'd love you to think about what stands out to you as I read it. Do they echo in your own heart? Does it cause you to cry out in worship to God? Is, is there something that connects there? Do they give birth to an increased appetite for God? Do you notice that it's not just about attending the right meetings or knowing more about God, but it's actually about an encounter with him? Why don't we have a look and see what some of these psalms say? Laura, could you pop the first slide up? I'm just going to read them. Lord, I just want to pray, even as we just look at your word, I pray they would give birth to fresh hunger for you. A fresh appetite, not just to know about you, 
not just to attend the right meetings, but a desire to want to meet with the living God. We ask for that, Lord God. We pray for that. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Yes, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is, this is not the cry of someone who's passive. This isn't the cry of someone who doesn't really mind either way, take it or leave it. Oh, how lovely is your dwelling place. This is written, I think, by the sons of Korah. They've got in mind the temple, and it's not because they love the architecture that they're talking about how lovely the dwelling place is. It's because of who's there. It's because they know that when they come to the temple, they are meeting with God. And look at that, my soul longs. You know, it's, now, is there something, even as you read those words, is there something in there that, that, that is connecting with your own soul? P- please hear me. This is, this is not an intellectual exercise this morning. This is about connecting with your heart. Your, my, my soul longs, just faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's, all, it's powerful stuff. What about the next one? As the deer pants for for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I think what what the writer has in mind here is a a deer in sort of the, the wasteland of Israel. It is dry. It is really, really hot. And, and this deer has not drunk water for a while, and it is longing to find water. It doesn't care about shade. It's not worried about food. It, it just wants to drink water. I just want streams of flowing water. And the psalmist says, you know, that is a reflection of my soul for God. I, I, I don't, I, I don't want those delights over there. I don't want that food over here. I don't want those possessions there. I don't want this for my children over there. No, I, uh, my soul longs for you, Lord God, and to meet with you. When shall I come and appear before God? A great preacher from the last century wrote this about formal, dry religion. Um, Could we put the slide up, please, Laura? Martin Lloyd-Jones. Lastly, they expect nothing and get nothing from God. They go to God's house, not with the idea of meeting with God, not with the idea of waiting upon him. It never crosses their minds or enters their hearts that something may happen in a service. But the idea that God might suddenly visit his people... And descend upon them the whole thrill of being in the presence of God and sensing his nearness and his power never, imag- never enters their imaginations. He's talking about a dry, formal religion where, where they may get it all right, but they miss the person it's all about. It's about encountering Jesus. Now, you may be sat here thinking, well, we could never fall into that trap because we've got a band. (laughs) But 
doesn't matter how great Hannah and the guys are. It's about be, meeting with Jesus. I mean, we're not going to push this picture, but in some ways, it doesn't matter who's at the front if you're hungry to meet with Jesus. The band is very helpful. If I lead you in worship, it will not help you connect with Jesus in worship. But, but actually, in the end, are you hungry? Are you hungry to give him your best and to exalt and glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, knowing that as you do so, we have a God who rushes to be near, who rushes to encounter, who rushes to fill us and speak to us, because he's always wanted to dwell with his people. He's never wanted it to just be dry, formal religion. What about the next psalm? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh Lord, oh Lord God, I ask you, even now, not, not, not because of my enthusiasm or, or anything like that, but because of what your word is saying, Lord, ignite, start fresh hunger, birth fresh hunger and thirst in us to meet with you. And what about Psalm 34, verses 5 to 8? (laughs) Those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to God, their faces shall never be ashamed. I think the psalmist had in mind uh, the picture of Moses when he went into the tabernacle and he went in to the tent of meeting and he came out and Moses' face, because he'd spent time with God, was absolutely glowing. He was glowing. And he put a veil over his face because, because he didn't want to see the glory slowly fading. When we come to meet with God, it may not be physical, although actually, sometimes, you know, God meets with his people so powerfully that our, your, your external countenance is different. Sometimes. But even if not, that when we gather... My soul is alive because I've connected with God. And there might not be much glowing on the outside, but there certainly is on the inside. I have a face where the corners of my mouth always generally naturally turn downward. So, so whenever you see me smile, it's definitely a work of God, okay? So, but, but I don't know, do you, do you feel that? As you're, sometimes when you're reading the Bible... And you know God is meeting you through it. And you do, you, you, you're, you, you're smiling because you know God is alive and he's at work on the inside. He's here. What I'm talking about here is not vain hope. The, the, the psalmist, there is a hunger that the psalmist has got because he doesn't know if it's going to happen. For us as a new covenant people, we have a hunger for God, but we come with the expectation of children that our Father gives good gifts to us. And as, as Alid said last week, won't he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we come, we come hungry, but we come with a sure, certain expectation that God will meet with us. And then what about verse 8 of, of that psalm? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can, can, can I be as bold as to say 
that our primary occupation as we come on Sunday mornings, well, firstly, is to glorify God and to give him our best in worship, but actually it's to come and taste, not come and watch. It doesn't say in Psalm 34, I'll come and watch and see that God is good. It says, come and taste and see. Can we put my, um, my, my it would be nice if this was my yesterday's dinner, but it isn't. Can we put the next uh, slide? Can you see that? Now, for me, I was thinking of what sort of dinner would I like to taste? Ooh, that, that would go quite a long way. Can we put the next slide up for those of you that don't like that sort of dinner? There you go. Now, either way, whether it's the raw vegetable kebab or that steak, taste and see that it's good. You know, you can watch the cooking programs on TV, but you don't know what it tastes like. But God invites you right here, right now, come taste and see how good I am. Come experience my goodness. Come and know my love being poured into your heart. Know what it is to be filled with the joy of the Spirit. Know what it is to know a peace that surpasses understanding. There is an invitation to come and encounter and enjoy God today. Angela's going to come next week, and I'm sure she's, she's very gifted at leading, you in, leading us into an encounter with God. But it's not reliant on Angela. It's reliant on the person of the Holy Spirit who is here with us. I want you to be hungry. I want you to be hungrier for Jesus than you are for your Sunday lunch at one o'clock. He is good. He is good. What about in the New Testament? Is there anything like this in the New Testament? It, doesn't it just speak of our richness and blessings and it does all of those things? But actually, for me, what, that, what those blessings do is they, they increase my hunger because I realize how much is on offer. I realize how much God has done. Uh, the passage that's up behind me is Philippians chapter 3. It was written by the Apostle Paul at the end of his ministry. Um, this, this is a passionate, full-on letter to the church um, at Philippi. Now remember, the Apostle Paul, he's been around for a few years by now. He's in prison in Rome, he's expecting to die. He's at the end of his ministry, but as we read these verses, just, um, just start to catch what's going on. I'm not going to as fully explain them as I'd like to, because I want us to get back into worship. I want us to get back into an encounter with God as we uh, share and declare what's in our hearts back to God. But, but we will take a whistle-stop tour, and I will, I will, just, we will just pause at some certain moments. Finally, my brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord. This is um, chapter 3, so it's coming into the second half of his letter. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me. It's safe for you. Um, then you, get, you never think a church leader would quite write like this, but he's quite aggressive, isn't he? He says, look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's, he's thinking of a particular group within the church that are, that, that are basically teaching that Jesus isn't enough. 
You need something more than Jesus. You need some religious practices on top, one of which was circumcision, hence the whole sort of mutilation of the flesh thing. Um, but he's, he's quite graphic, he's quite strong, because he cares about this. And he says, for we are the circumcision, for we are God's people who, and just take note of these three things, who worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, as we worship, come fill us, empower us, reveal Jesus to us, distribute gifts among us. Our Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Who glory in Christ Jesus. Another way would be just to say boast. What do you boast about? You boast about Jesus and have no confidence in their own ability to make themselves right with God. Though Paul says, I have reason for confidence also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on to this list that's a little bit odd for us, but for him it was like, this is something to really be proud of. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a a Hebrew of Hebrews, just of the right family. Um, As to the law, a Pharisee, he cares passionately about what God has written and he does all he can to put it into practice. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he is a zealous man. He is passionate about following God. As for righteousness, as for being right under the law, he says, I was absolutely blameless. This is like a CV that you could be proud of. But what does Paul say about it? He says, But whatever gain I had, the best of what I had before I knew Jesus, I count it as rubbish. Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss in all things. I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says that I've come to realize nothing compares to knowing Jesus. That's basically what he's saying. He repeats it a couple of times. He says, I've suffered loss of all things. I call them rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Any advantages that he had before, he describes, and actually even rubbish isn't quite strong enough. He says, I describe, he, he describes it as the filth of human excrement. He describes it as rubbish that is thrown out for the dogs to forage through. He describes it as foul-smelling, filthy street rubbish. Not because these things that he was proud of before were of no value. It's just that in compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ, they are worthless. They are are worthless. And this is not just about head knowledge. Church, let me invite you. This is not just about knowing the right stuff about God. It's about knowing Him. It's to know Him personally and relationally. It's to have a personal experience of Jesus, to have an intimate knowledge of Him, to know Him closely. My dear wife, Chloe, who's in children's work, so I can say whatever I want. And I won't get in trouble until at least I get home anyway from Bex Hill. Many of you know what she looks like. You know that she's got blonde hair. Um, You may know the sound of her voice. 
You may even know some of the things that she likes or she dislikes. You may know where she works. You may know that she's in kids' work um, at the moment, or you may have met her on occasion as you've come in because she's on um, the welcome team. You'll, you'll know something about her, but you don't know her like I do. I, I know what makes her laugh and what makes her cry. I know what would really wind her up in a way that you won't, mainly because sometimes I've done that without realising what I'm doing. I realise the things that she really loves to do. I know the things she really doesn't love. I, I've lived with her for many years. <laughs> I know her. I've not read a book about her. I know her. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that has some of the similarities to that relationship that I would know with Chloe? It takes time. It takes investment. It isn't just me telling Chloe stuff, Chloe talks to me and I listen. I open up my heart to Chloe. She, I guess, has potential to hurt me like no one else does. I'm totally emotionally invested with Chloe. I love her. And when the Apostle Paul talks about knowing Jesus, he says, I want to know Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Wouldn't it be odd if I only met Chloe at church on Sunday? Wouldn't it be odd? Hi, Chloe, she's on the welcome team again. It would be, it's not... Now, obviously, that, that analogy is not perfect. Husband and wife, me to Jesus, is not, is not a perfect analogy in that sense. There are, there are differences. But, but this, this is probably maybe the most important thing you're going to hear all week, or question I'm going to ask you is, do you know Jesus? No, no, do you know him? And if, if you don't, it's the highest call, the greatest privilege for you to get to know him in that way. The reason Jesus died on the cross and rose again is not just to save us from our sin. It's to open us that we can have a relationship with the Father and that we can know him. Our greatest pursuit is knowing Jesus. And this is the incredible thing. We're going to jump a few bits. But if you go to um, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or, or am already perfect. This is what the Apostle Paul says end of his ministry. I mean, he, he had the Damascus Road experience with Jesus. He was taken into the third heaven with visions and stuff, but he says, not that I have already obtained this or already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, I have made it my own. He says, I haven't got there yet. 
Now, in some ways, he will never get there till he goes till either Christ returns or, or, or he goes to be with Christ. It's, it's like we won't ever see fully. But, but even in the prison cell, even in the suffering, what is his chief preoccupation is to know Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know him better. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I strain. I put effort in. I put energy in. This 43 days creates this brilliant opportunity for you to press in to know Jesus. How, how are you straining to know Christ? If I, if I said, right, I want you to run five miles by the end of 43 days, for some of you who train a lot, you'll find that quite easy. That won't be a problem. But if you don't run regularly, you're going to find that really difficult. The only way you're going to get there, so at the end of the 43 days you can run five miles, is how? By giving time to training. My ambition for you, my desire for you, is that you know Jesus better at the end of the 43 days than you do now. That you go on a personal pursuit of him. That you create time. Maybe you're going to use the Bible app that, that we've uploaded just to read some of these verses, three verses a day, three passages a day, in order to know him. Maybe you're going to think, actually, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to book into Angela Kem weekend, which is really a God weekend. We're going to encounter God. But actually, I'm going to do that because I think that's going to really help kickstart me into this pursuit of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? How are you going to make it work? Knowing Christ is the ultimate goal of being in a right relationship with God. John Piper says this, He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Go find out about Him. Go know Him. Get to know Him. Seek His face. This, this won't come up um, because I found, I found this a little bit later, but John Piper, another, a hunger for God quote, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink every night. That is the greatest enemy of a hunger for God. So, what do you need to change? What do you need to chuck out in order to make space for Jesus to come and fill it? What are you going to do? Can I invite the band back up, please? Why don't we stand? If you feel comfortable to, won't we just raise our hands? Lord Jesus, we say it is absolutely amazing that we could ever know you. That we can really know you, it's amazing. What a privilege. You died on that cross. You carried my sin. 
You defeated its power. You rose again to new life. Why? That I may know God and I may know you, Jesus Christ, and that the Holy Spirit may be poured out. We say, oh, what an incredible privilege. And yet, Lord God, we confess that so often we fill our lives, we nibble at all other things so that when it gets to it, our appetite for you is just too little. Please forgive us for that, Lord God. Please, Holy Spirit, even now, would you speak to us about things we need to reorganize, we need to reprioritize in order to create space for you. I ask you over the next, it's brilliant, we've got 40 minutes to worship and glorify and magnify you, Lord Jesus. And even as we do that and we give our best to worshiping you, I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? Would you fill us to overflowing? Would you come and pour in your peace and pour in your joy, Lord? Pour in faith and expectation for what you want to do over these 43 days. We pray, Lord God. It says in Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We say, Lord God, we come right now and we say we come here to worship and glorify and magnify your name. It's why we're here. It's why, you're here. why we're here. It's why we're here. We just play a little bit in the background. Is that all right, Hannah? We shake that day, yeah. Why don't you, in your own words now, just start telling him that you love him, that you're here for him? You can pray a prayer this morning that no one else can pray. No one can pray it for you. Just you. Saying of what's going on in your heart to Jesus. <laughs> 